Welcome to C3 Church, Queens Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoyed this message today. We've been doing a series called The Four Cups about um, the four cups that... Uh, which were promises, represented promises that the children of Israel were given when they left Egypt. And we've been talking about the cup of deliverance, which is freedom, and this is part two. So if you missed last week, highly recommend that you listen to the podcast because that will make a lot more sense if you haven't listened to that yet. So we've called to be freedom fighters. The problem is to, to fight for freedom it means we actually have a battle. It doesn't just happen. There's a battle that is going on. And I woke up this morning, the first thing that was running through my mind was the phrase, there's power in the name of Jesus. And this song came to mind, there's power in the name of Jesus, there's power in the name of Jesus. And I sort of woke up and went, oh, it's Sunday, I'm preaching today on freedom. went, oh, that's interesting. That was the first thought that was in my mind and in my spirit, there's power in the name of Jesus. So we're called to be freedom fighters, but the war we are battling with is a spiritual warfare. Now, all wars are fought over territory. but They're for a purpose. Beyond your battle is advancement and promotion, and there's always a prize. David knew this when he saw and heard Goliath intimidating the army of Israel, and he was contemplating taking on one of the most epic battles ever. And this was not just a physical battle. It was also a spiritual battle. And 1 Samuel 17, 26 says, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? They said, The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Wow, that's a good one. What do you get out of this? You get rid of the reproach. He fought the giant and he got the prize. And the bonus was there were no taxes, so that's awesome. <laughs> God knows what is needed to grow you. And through every battle, we are strengthened and we have more faith. We have increased intimacy with God and we know him at a deeper level. But our warfare is against unseeing beings. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, though it feels like it, doesn't it, at times, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our enemy, the devil, is real. We don't like to focus on the devil. 51 out of 52 weeks a year in preaching, we won't be doing that. We don't want to give him attention or glorify anything that he does. But he is real. He was an angelic being who, full of pride and other, for other reasons, was cast out of heaven and he took a third of those other an, um, angelic beings with him and they are up to no good. <laughs> they hate God's people and they are hell-bent on destroying them, excuse the pun, and on seeing us to be miserable. So we need to be aware, as we do in any war or battle, to be aware of the enemy's strategies so we can defeat him and he can't get a foothold, he can't get a stronghold in our lives. Throughout God's word, we're warned to pay attention and be on guard against the devil's snares. He manipulates people. He attacks our minds and our emotions and our values and our circumstances. 
Another title he has is the accuser of the brethren. He's always lying and trying to torment us with thoughts. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stay alert, he's saying. Watch out for our great enemy, the devil. He prowls like, he isn't one, but he prowls like a lion, trying to intimidate us. He encircles us, he observes, he stalks. He's looking for that right opportunity to pounce. He's looking for our vulnerability. He's listening to you and what you are saying. He knows how to push your buttons. (laughs) The enemy studies us and looks for an opportune time to attack. And like the deadliest stealth sniper, he waits for us each day, eager to shoot us down with his lies. If we don't watch for him and arm ourselves with God's truth, he will succeed. Plan and strategy to overtake you. He's assigned demons to enter and bring in what will take you away from God's purposes so that brokenness, sin and pain have access to enter in. But we don't need to fear. We are not helpless. (laughs) God expects us to fight. 1 Peter 5, 9 says, Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We're not alone. We're all fighting a battle, but we're here together, doing it together. So resist. Don't be passive. God has equipped us for the battle. Ephesians 6, 13, Therefore put on the whole armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted in the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. You really need to listen to Pastor Jason Schroeder's preach from last week at Hepburn Heights where he's talking about that shield of faith. It's very powerful. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. So we stand against him and we push back. The enemy uses fear and intimidation. He causes you to doubt the word of God. We're not doing this on our own. We have the mightiest warrior on our side, God. Psalm 24, 8. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And even more than that, we don't need to fear because God sent his only son, Jesus, to earth to give us the ultimate victory over sin, sickness and death just as prophesied in Isaiah 61. Jesus actually stood up in the temple and he read that scripture. It says in Luke 4, 18, he read this to the, the people in the church. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind and to preach to prisoners you are set free. I've come to share the message of Jubilee for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. And after he read this, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the minister and sat down. Everyone stared at Jesus, wondering what he was about to say. Then he added, these scriptures came true today in front of you. Mind blown, right? He just dropped this truth bomb there like, wow. This was Jesus' assignment. 
This is our assignment. We don't need to fear. That's why Jesus came, to set us free. It's part of his mission statement. To bring us back to connection and be in relationship with the Father. Jesus came to make the Father known. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It was revelation that Jesus brought, that we would know the Father. So demons work to limit how God is made known to us because our life is in knowing the Father and having that intimate relationship with him. And as we do that, we also discover why we are created, what our purpose here on earth is, and how to free other people to know that as well. They're the other two cups that we'll talk about in the future. So the devil doesn't want that happening, right? Because as together we can defeat his kingdom. So he, doesn't, he works to put us in a place of operating out of brokenness and hurt. Then we are ineffective. And that's why God sent Jesus to heal broken hearts and bind their wounds. And Jesus confronted the demons. I've actually been surprised if you read the Gospels and read Acts, you see it nearly all the time. It doesn't, I think in our heads we go, oh yeah, Jesus healed. Jesus went around healing. Jesus went around healing. If you read it, it actually says Jesus went around setting people free from demons and healing. So he had to do one before he could do the other. And I've come across that many times. People come for prayer and there's a blockage. We get rid of the blockage and then the healing can come, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, whatever it is. Got to get rid of that first. So Jesus confronted the demons in Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So he just went around, just walking around his normal daily life, setting people free as you do. But really see the work of the Trinity here. God the Father was with Jesus the Son, who was empowered with the Holy Spirit. And that's why people came to Jesus, because this was an issue in their society. Mark 1.25 says, Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives order to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And Matthew 12, 28, Jesus says, If it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Wow. This was evidence that the kingdom of God had turned up and is superior. Demons were subject to him. They hadn't seen that before. There was working of miracles and faith in the Holy Spirit and broken people were set free. Of course they came. Who doesn't want to come and see that, especially when you've never experienced that before? And in Jesus' day and in many cultures today, there's actually a huge awareness of spirits and demons. You can often even feel them operating some places that you go to, right out in the open. And people will talk about, oh, there's a spirit there, this is happening. But here in Australia, we're a little bit oblivious to that. I know things are a little bit more subtle and subversive. But unfortunately, that's actually quite dangerous because we have that false sense of security and don't sort out the jug that needs to be dealt with. We're not prepared. We're not aware of the enemy's strategies. And even as Christians, we can have attacks on us from our enemy. We're not exempt. We're not possessed, but we can be demonized. We can feel that pressure and oppression and feel the attack. So how does this stuff get in? How, does, how do we get a stronghold in our life? It's through doors of entry. There's many reasons why we can experience bondage. 
It can be generational curses or things that we've inherited, which we may not even be aware of. And it can be from vows or agreements that we've made, either knowingly or subconsciously. Our words are powerful. So all through the Bible, we see how our sin and our choices allows evil spirits to get a foothold right from the beginning with Cain and Abel, the first kids that were born, where Cain firstly was disobedient, that allowed something in, then he was jealous, and then he was angry. And God said to him, Genesis 4, 6, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. But what did Cain do? He actually chose to murder his brother. So then he was under a curse. Because when a sin is extreme, it's passed down generations. And demons can attach themselves to that. They have a legal right. They've been allowed in. And we can have someone speak a negative declaration over us. And it can affect our relationship with God. Because there's power in our tongue, in the words that we speak. They bring life or they can bring death. So curses are the specific strategy the devil wants to use to take us down and ruin our lives. It can also be sin we've opened ourselves up to. Dabbling in the occult, including reading horoscopes and astrology, participation in seances, even thinking that's a joke. It's not. It's not a funny thing. Tarot cards, seeing a psychic, being involved sexually with someone we're not married to, looking at porn, taking drugs, any myriad of sins, again consciously or unconsciously. We often see fathers who've been alcoholics having children battling with alcoholism. It's not just what was role modelled to them, but also there's a spiritual connection. We see family connections with Freemasonry. I see this a lot when I'm praying for people to be free from these things. Like There's like a, um, a generational thing where someone in the family has been in Freemasonry. And there's a secrecy behind it. What people don't know when they first join is actually... Lucifer worship, devil worship, it's not actually worshipping God. And their emotions harden, they end up with a hatred of women, there's infirmity and sickness, there's confusion, there's like an antichrist spirit of sexual perversion, there's a depression from rejection and anger, a lot of suicide that comes through that. We also see different people, groups and nations have different strongholds. I know many of you visited Africa, you, you've experienced and seen what happens there with curses, with witch doctors. Um, in, I pray for people who their background is from the UK and there's been quite an influence from Druids and that sort of thing. Aboriginal Dreamtime culture here in Australia. We can have a religious upbringing where that spirit of religion can attack us. I've seen people and they're, um, they're stuck in legalism and it's actually from wrong teachings, even something simple like water baptism. Oh no, you don't do that. It's like, read the Bible. It's actually in the Bible. Yeah, it's not... That hard, but if we don't understand, it's, it's like a blockage of even understanding and reading the word and not understanding the Bible. We can be uptight when we're like that. When there's a religious spirit, we're not able to freely worship because that thing's got a stronghold us. We can be redeemed from every curse. Um, we can have childhood vows. So what this is, is you know, you can be a little kid and maybe your friends make fun of you or left out. More seriously, there can be abuse be rejected there can be painful experiences and trauma and children analyze what has happened and go mm, how can I show up tomorrow and not have this happen again and they make childhood vows using absolutes like oh I'll never do that and I'll always do this and they make these vows in their heart and as a child it protects us but it's not helpful in adulthood 
It comes up when you're dealing with authority, in romance and relationships, in peers. We make vows, but they tie us up inside. And often we don't even remember making them, but there's something there that we've allowed in. I had this recently, and I shared something with someone when I was really hurting, and I got shut down. And I made an inner vow with myself. I went, wow, that's it. I'm not opening up to any of you lot again. And I'm going to protect myself and I'm not going to share my life with you. And I didn't realise until recently the dangerous position that I put myself in. Because that's not God's way of doing life and relationships. So I had to repent. I had to renounce my agreement, break that, that agreement I'd made with myself, my vow, forgive them and ask God for forgiveness for me and my stinky attitude and get rid of anything that would destroy unity in the body of Christ. I didn't go to that person and go, you really offended me, I'm upset. Like, No, I didn't. I sorted it with God. I went to another pastor and said, please pray for me. I'm not in a good place. I need to be pure before God. Can you, I need to repent and say I was wrong what I did. Please pray with me. And that thing went. I don't want anything holding me back from what God's got for me. If I've got a blockage, that's going to affect you guys too. So you don't want anything holding you back. <laughs> so have a look at your life. Is there a presenting issue? Anger, apathy, cynicism, fear. What's, what's there? There's symptoms of underlying issues, hiding another problem that's a blind spot. We often don't realise we have these blockages or blind spots within us. We don't realise until they're triggered. We're blinded by them. That's why they're called blind spots, right? <laughs> Trauma can lead us into bondage. So many people have had traumatic things happen in their past and recently. We looked at the children of Israel. They'd been in Egypt for hundreds of years and they'd been slaves and that Egyptian worldly lifestyle had crept in. They were surrounded by it and most of them were born into slavery. Then they experienced trauma right from, we know when Moses was born, all the male children were being killed except Moses, he was saved. They were slain. That's pretty traumatic to go through, isn't it? As a as a mum and as a family and all of that sort of stuff. They've been subjected to slavery and abuse. They witnessed the plagues, even that would have been traumatic. And they'd seen their neighbours losing firstborn children, even during Passover. It's allowed bitterness to enter. You know what happens when we're bitter? We blame God. We blame the church, right? We blame God. And this comes from suffering. We have a choice when we suffer whether we're going to run to God or run from him. So Moses delivered them out of Egypt. They were free from Egypt and the world, but they still had Egypt and the world inside them, that world impression on, on and in them. They were not truly delivered and free yet. And we see this come out, something triggers this, as they're walking through the desert and they're thirsty. And it says in Exodus 15:22, they came to bitter water and they complained and God led Moses to take a tree, which represents the cross, and he placed through it in the water, and then the water was turned sweet. The roots of bitterness need to be removed. That can only happen through coming to the cross. It allows so many symptoms into our spirit. It stops you believing God can and will heal you. Unbelief that he can and will do it for me personally as well. We all experience wounds. We define wounds as negative events that have happened to us, usually what others have done to us, things over which we had little control. And this may include childhood abuse, harsh words of criticism and judgment from others, often people in authority too, isn't it? Betrayal by a spouse or other close loved one, spiritual abuse, rejection and abandonment, and all other losses that often leave us beaten and bruised. 
Though we may have tried to forgive, it's often easier to cling to that anger and bitterness. And it manifests as dysfunction and it just gets layer upon layer. Maybe a door of entry is idolatry. Idolatry is anything we allow to sit on the throne of your heart other than God. And we all do it from time to time. It can even be perceived as a good thing. And I saw an example this week. Someone says it's where that thing is positioned. There's, there can be something good in your, in your life. It can be like your home. God gives you a home. That's great. But if you're looking at home and you're developing that and paying for that and all of your priorities into that, that's what you're focused on. That's an idol. It's where it's positioned. It can be entertainment, sleep, comfort, our house, garden, recreation or sport, holiday, work, money, sin, family, friends, position and prestige, all manner of things. And when something sits on the throne of our hearts, we become slaves to it. We yield it because we trust it rather than God. Whatever sits on the throne of your heart is what rules us. So we need deliverance from addictions that we've allowed to come into our world. And addiction is anything we do that we don't want to do, but we can't stop doing. (laughs) It's an ingrained pattern that pulls us to false idols to escape our pain. And I love the way Paul expresses this. It's like, yep, I get you, Paul. I hear you. This is what I find myself faced with. Romans 7.15. I'm a mystery to myself, for I want to do what is right, but I end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. And my behaviour is not in line with my desire. My conscience still confirms the excellence of the law. And now I realise it's no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome truder of sin in my humanity. For I know that nothing good lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. The longings to do what is right are within me, but willpower is not enough to accomplish it. My lofty desires to do what is good are dashed when I do the things I want to avoid. So if my behaviour contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. Though my experience of this, through my experience of this principle, I discover that even when I want to do good, evil is ready to sabotage me. Truly, deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases God. But I discern another power operating in my humanity, waging a war against the moral principles of my conscience and bringing me into captivity as a prisoner to the law of sin, this unwelcome intruder in my humanity. What an agonizing situation I am in. So, who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So, if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin. But now my renewed mind is fixed on and submitted to God's righteous principles. Yeah. It's easy to be arrogant or judgmental about somebody else's addictions but make exceptions for your own or even to be completely blind to your own. Maybe you don't do crack or drugs but you think nothing of spending hours on Facebook or gaming. You may not drink or smoke but you think, don't think twice about overeating at every meal. You never gambled but you glued to the television every night. Or you can't stop checking the email and text and Twitter updates on your phone. Addictions aren't just recovery group issues, but they are life-altering. John 10.10, 10, 
It's a scripture that's very familiar to us. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So that's the enemy's ultimate joy, to rob you of a joy, uh, his goal, to rob you of a joyful, fulfilled life and keep you from being effective. Comes to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus came to give us life to the full. So basically we have to learn how God intended for us to live rather than continue in the sinful ways that have become our default mode. As Paul writes, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So what are the things in your life that have control over you? And another entry is attack from the enemy. Evil spirits seek to neutralise believers by attacks upon, firstly, their body. We've all experienced that where there's like sickness and illness and weakness which comes upon us. Sometimes we know it's physical. Other times there's a sense that there's actually a spiritual thing behind it. I had this a um, couple of years ago, I felt this attack on me and I was exhausted and I was having trouble getting out of bed and there was this really heavy weariness on me. And then and all these weird ailments that I couldn't explain and just, I don't know what's going on here. And then a pastor from another church came and had a word of knowledge for me and she was saying, I felt you've been under attack by a Jezebel spirit to undermine and control. Now I dealt with that situation but there was still like that hangover, that thing I'd allowed or it had been, uh, it wasn't in me but it was attacking me, it was on me. So I had prayer. I repented for tolerating it even though I'd already dealt with it even though I didn't realise at the time that it was a spiritual cause because I was deceived by the, the intimidation and it left and so did the ailments and the, heavy the heaviness that I'd been experienced but hadn't been able to identify. It was incredible just to see the difference. So appreciative to someone who would step out in obedience and let me know, hey, I think this is going on. I was like, thank you, changed my, changed my world. We can have attacks on our soul. In conflict, emotional turmoil, accusation, temptation. I know for me at times there's been like tormenting thoughts. It's fed by rejection. You know, what's actually perceived rejection? <laughs> and I've had to come against it. Wait a minute, that's not God. God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but love, power and a sound mind. I had to fight that. We can have an attack on our spirit where there's that heaviness and oppression, a passivity. I know for me, uh, last year I went through a few traumas, a few crises, and I actually realised that I had allowed a spirit of grieving. It's okay to be sad at times, and we need to grieve, but I'd allowed this spirit that was oppressing me to actually get a stronghold past the point of just being sad. So again, went and got prayer, boom, it was gone, and everything just shifted and changed. We can have attack on our finances, when there's unexplained damage, loss, accidents, theft. You know, sometimes you go through a season, you're like, what is going on? There's such an attack on my finances. We've had a few of these at different times. They um, not coincidentally happen when we're doing a lot of plus one events where we're trying to reach out to the community. And I remember a few years ago, we had um, a big week coming up with Kathy and Brendan Clancy were coming to our church and I was running all these events. We had eight material possessions die. The fridge, I'm not uh, the roller door, the car, I'm not talking little things. I think there was like a dryer. It was like, this is ridiculous. This is not normal. And so I got my prayer partners to pray and we came against that. 
and that spirit of mischief was gone and it ceased. You know, I tithe, so I can stand in authority and say the enemy has no jurisdiction over my finances and I can stand and fight that. When it's your area of authority, you have the authority to come against that. We can get attacked in our relationships where there's confusion and offence and misunderstandings. I've had this sometimes where I'm with someone I'm like, oh, I think they're funny with me and I have this like niggle and I'm all out of sorts and you know, I just, sometimes I need to just pray and forgive. There's times I've gone and said, are we all right? And the person goes, yeah, it felt really funny, but yeah, we are good. Okay, good. But just sort things out because if we let those things get in, we start overthinking and worrying and then getting that bitterness in again. We can feel those, those challenges and get irritated. You know, when we're irritated with people, we've moved away from that foundation of love that it talks about in Ephesians 3.17 where we're rooted and grounded in love. That's where our power in God comes from. When we're all niggly like that, we need to look where we're going in our walk with God. We can have an attack on our circumstances where there's setbacks, blockages and irritations. There can be an indication that something is attacking us when we feel stuck. We're trying to overcome something but we're still battling with the same challenges we're feeling angst, depression, we're feeling unsettled. We can even have physical symptoms, maybe your chest is burning or a knot in your stomach. Something just doesn't feel right. There's no peace. We actually have spiritual authority over all these things, so we need to take back what we have unwittingly handed over, fight for them and protect them. So why is it important to seek deliverance and freedom? Well, our human nature wants to avoid conflict. The spiritual things afflicting us don't want us to be free. And they fill us with like pride and false guilt and shame and lie to us about who God is. Well, he's not a forgiving God. He's not loving. He doesn't move in mercy and grace. So we're scared to share with anyone what we're going through. And also, you know, those voices say, your leaders won't understand. They will judge us and cast us away. That's lies. The truth will set us free as we bring things into the light. But we press on and we fight for freedom, even though we have those things coming against us. Does it really matter whether we're free or not? Yes, it does. <laughs> Hidden roots in our heart produce bad fruit and it shows in our behaviour because our heart is our identity, so it's affected. We discover what is empowering the bad behaviour and we bring it to the truth. And when we experience trauma or wounds, pathways are forged. It says in the word that they're, they're pushed down. And we're oppressed and broken. So when we're broken and hurt, we hurt other people around us. We're trying to control them maybe because of fear. We're trying to experience comfort through secret addictive behaviours to numb the past or distract ourselves from it. And then we struggle to carry the power of God. We can start to care about appearances and how things look on the surface as if they matter more than our heart reality. And that's inauthentic. And it leads to superficial relationships when we're broken, we manipulate people. We can be tormented by spirits. We hide what's happening and then we work so hard to tend to, that we tend to burn out. We can be damaged by performing. When we aren't free, we can have poor boundaries. We're either letting people take too much or we are pushing ourselves on other people. Striving in our own strength and, and driven by our own desires. And as we journey through life, it becomes more challenging the things we battle with are then reproduced in our families and leading to more traumatized families and abuse 
So left unchecked, your addictions will keep you on a treadmill of frustration and mediocrity, never growing into your God-given potential. They become your master and you remain a slave. But that's not where God wants to leave you. Jesus is the rebuilder. He is the repairer. So when healing and deliverance comes to us, we can then build the house of God and do the same for others. So how can we step into freedom? Well, God has provided the cup of deliverance to you, a gift of hope, redemption and fulfilment. It says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's some practical things how to do. I know this is such a weird thing to preach on, but this is what I feel like is a season, actually not just here, across the whole body of Christ, just talking to so many people. This is what God is really, the Holy Spirit is really prompting people. So I do this every week with people. We don't like advertise it on the website. Hey, come and get deliverance. But <laughs> just wanted to share you know, some practical how-tos here. The first thing is to teach about doors of entry, how things come in and enter. And that's what I'm doing here with you today. Hear testimonies. There's many people here who've come and had this prayer ministry. And I know you've been set free. You felt different. You even look different afterwards. Hear those testimonies and they build faith. It also just works to not make us feel proud or embarrassed. It's like, hey, we're all on this journey. We all need to be set free from things. We can participate in a freedom course. There are resources like Mike Connell's things that we can have a look at. But we need to take responsibility and be proactive. And Mark 3.13 says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. There it is again. That's the three things they were called to do. As Jesus trained up his disciples to help him minister to people and set them free, so he has done in this day and age. People have spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit works through them to pray and discern and help bring freedom. So find the right people that are moving in this area. Someone that loves people, has a prophetic edge and anointing, words of knowledge and discernment. Ask them to pray for you. And I do this every week with people, not on my own. I work with, another, with other pastors and I love it because I love seeing people come into the freedom in Christ to be everything that God has called them to do. So how I do it is you need someone to come and just say, hey, I fully submit to God. I really, I really want this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Confess, get them to confess any sins. Maybe forgive some people that they need to from their past, parents or others. Then we break some unhealthy soul ties from any sexual, abusive, dominant, dysfunctional relationships. And then we renounce control and surrender to God. And pray something like this. I take Jesus' authority and power and verbally command this curse line to be fully broken in the name of Jesus and command demons to leave off the past and the future generations. And isn't that great that we can break that? It stops with me. It stops with you. My kids don't have to do that. My grandkids and great-grandkids don't have to carry whatever has been there across the generations. So lead them through prayer to take back what has been given up. I come to you in in Jesus' name. I declare Jesus Christ is Saviour and Lord. Declare the cross over the family representatives and the sin. Through the cross, forgive me for opening my door to demons. Renounce the demons. We break the power of any curses, vows and agreements in the name of Jesus. And I lay hands on them and I expect the power of God to flow and set people free. Speak and break the bondage. Sometimes they're just breathing out. They might even just 
cough or, you know, there's some way of you just see some things moving, shifting. Because there is power in the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So when I say, come out in the name of Jesus, that thing has to, that sucker has to go. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. I have the authority to do that. You have the authority over everything. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We just check with someone, hey, you're experiencing everything. Sometimes they have a sense, mm, I think there's this. Or, oh, I'm just remembering this person I need to forgive. Or this trauma that happened, can you pray for that? And I tell you, every demon will tremble. All authority is given to me on heaven and earth to overcome all the power of the enemy. So exercise your authority over your areas. I don't go and say, right, I'm taking Les Murdy for Jesus because that's not what my area of authority has been given. My area of authority is over my finance, my family, my relationships, my soul, my spirit and my body and the same for you. And afterwards, when you've prayed for someone, they need to establish truth and revelation of their identity and Father's love in their heart. Otherwise, they, they won't change. They'll go back to those old patterns. You need to develop new patterns. Replace the old vows with new vows, words in line with following Jesus, speaking and obeying his word. Because repetition of an experience forms pathways in your mind, making it easier to experience God again. Sometimes people need to do a little bit of homework. If there's still some areas of unforgiveness, they might need to write down someone's name, write down every good thing about them, pray for them, speak blessing. That is really hard for some people, but it brings them into freedom. Because Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, worthy, think about these things. Let's give each other the grace to do that. Let's, let's be thinking the good and seeing the good in people. There's so many resources. As I said before, if you just Google Mike Connell Ministries, he has an incredible deliverance ministry. Mark Verkler's book, Prayers That Heal the Heart, that would be really good for some people to look at and to get some healing where there's been wounds and trauma. Any Mark to Jesus books, that really is his name, um, they would be helpful as well. Join a connect group and small group because healing comes through relationships and accountability. Join the Freedom Course when that's coming soon. In John 15, Jesus spent his last hours before his death praying for us. And he said, stay attached to the vine. Because when you spend time with another person, you tend to become more like them. And as you spend time in the presence of the Lord, you become more and more like him. You're transformed into his likeness and his ever-increasing glory. The change is gradual, little by little, from one degree of glory to another. As you get to know Father God, you have an ongoing intimacy with the Father. You discover new things about him and then also about you. And you're called and separated for that. It enables victory and completes his work in us. John 17, 4. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So there's three things here. It's given to us. It's completed. And it leads to mission. They all work together with the Holy Spirit. Then we will be fruitful. Just like the um, band to come. You know, the fruits of the Holy Spirit develop when we fix our eyes on Jesus not on the fruit. It's like, you know, can you imagine an apple going, I'm going to be an apple! I'm going to be an apple! And we go, 
I want patience! I want patience! I'm straining and striving for peace! Give me peace! It doesn't work like that, right? Pity, right? It'd be so nice. It's fruit. It takes time. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm feeling really strained now. <laughs> Look like I'm constipated. The Spirit of the Lord brings radical freedom to our lives. Freedom from legalism, guilt, shame, condemnation, self-hatred and self-rejection. Freedom from the power of sin, selfishness, manipulation and control. Freedom from the fear of death and fear of what others think of us. Freedom from comparing ourselves with others. You are free to know, love and serve God. You are free to use your life and energy to love others. You are free to be yourself. And Psalm 34, 22 says, But the Lord has paid for the freedom of his servants, and he will freely pardon those who love him. He will declare them free and innocent when they turn to hide themselves in him. In that vine leads to taking territory, advancement and promotion. Life to the full. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more of our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, head to c3hh.com.au forward slash give.